in the winter of 1931, the great leader, Winston Churchill, who was not in power at that point as prime minister of Britain, was in New York City. And he was making his way across Fifth Avenue and he looked the wrong way because Americans drive on the right. That is the correct side of the road. Thank you for that. And he was hit by a car. And Winston Churchill actually almost died. Most say that if that car had been going uh, just even a few more kilometers per hour, and to be honest, they say if Churchill weren't as fat as he was, he'd just been a few kilograms lighter, most likely he would not have been able to absorb the blow of that car. And can you imagine how much history would have changed? Uh, Two years later, Adolf Hitler became chancellor of Germany, and you know the rest. How different the world we live in right now would be if in that moment something had gone very differently. The smallest details, when you look backward, can make the biggest difference in the present, in the future. On this first Sunday of this new year, we are going back into the book of Genesis, which is a book that we've gone in and out of for some years now at the beginning of a new year. And today we're near the end. We're in chapter 37. This is the final story, the final chapters of the book. When we last left this book, Isaac had died. He had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob had 12 sons. Those are the main characters of the rest of the book. And this last bit of the book provides an account that for later generations, they would have looked back on, even as they were oppressed in Egypt, and they would have come not just to know about how they came about, they would have come to know their God and who he is. The same is true for you. And for me, as you begin this new year, what's one thing in your mind that you're looking forward to? What's something that you're afraid of? This account will raise your eyes to see the goodness and the sovereignty of God in every detail of the world, in the past, in the present, to accomplish every one of his salvation purposes. In the book of Genesis, the God who created the whole world by his word, rules by his word, was sinned against as the man and the woman disbelieved his word, called his people out of the world by his word, and gave this promise that one day an offspring would come into the world, an offspring of the woman, and she would crush the head of a serpent. In the book of Genesis, we come to know this God. And in these chapters, we come to know his ways and his works in Jacob's family. This story that we're going to read is our story. It's our history. And on this first Sunday of the year in Genesis 37, I want you to be confident of this truth. God sovereignly rules the future. God sovereignly rules the future. 
and every detail in the universe works toward his plan to save. God sovereignly rules the future and every detail in the universe works toward his plan to save. We're going to begin in Genesis 37, looking at the first 11 verses, and we're going to see here dreams declared. Dreams declared. That's the first thing we'll see this morning. Dreams declared. Read along with me the first 11 verses. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Silpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So we begin here with Jacob, who has been on a long journey. He's met God. God's revealed himself to him. Jacob deceived his father. And Jacob has known and experienced the unmerited, undeserved grace of God. It is only by God's power that we read in verse 1, Jacob is back in the land of Canaan. In verse 2, we have this marker that a new story in Genesis is beginning. These are the generations of Jacob. So this is the 10th, this is the final story in the book of Genesis. And it's largely the story of Joseph. I'm well aware many of you know this story. My prayer for you is to see it afresh or for the first time to see the ways and the works of God. This is not a cute, sentimental Bible story for children. This is a story of very real, wicked sin and a real and righteous salvation. We meet Joseph when he was 17 years old. He's a shepherd 
and pastures the flock. He does that with his brothers, sons of Bilhah and Silpah, and he brings a bad report of them to their father. Now, this way of saying this has a negative connotation. Joseph is probably immature, maybe a bit of a tattletale. From the beginning, though, tension between Joseph and his brothers is introduced. This isn't a surprise to us. Uh, From Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, sibling conflict, sibling rivalry has been a prominent theme in Genesis. And so also has been favoritism by fathers. Verse 3, Israel, Jacob loved Joseph more than his brothers, and he famously gave him this robe of many colors. Uh, This robe, the way it's described, it is used in one other place in Scripture, in 2 Samuel 13, 18. One of King David's daughters wears it. This robe has the connotations of royalty. All of this combines to make Joseph's brothers hate Joseph. We read in verse 4, they hated him. They couldn't speak peacefully to him. So here we have sibling rivalry, hints of royalty and kingship, favoritism. All of these themes in Genesis starting to come together at the end of the book. And so are dreams. Throughout this book, God divinely reveals himself. He gives revelation through dreams to the patriarchs. Joseph has two dreams. Two is significant because it means there's certainty. You can get one dream wrong, but not two. Now notice we learn about the dreams, not as they're happening, but as Joseph recounts them to his brothers. And even though the dreams are revelation from God, understood to be such, the dreams cause his brothers, verse 5, Verse 11, to hate Joseph, become more jealous of him. Hate in verse 4, hate even more in verse 5, and then even more hate in verse 8. Whatever flaws there were in Joseph, these brothers harbored hate, and they allowed that hate to grow. Hate is more than simply intensely disliking someone. Hate is hostility. Hate will lead these brothers to do things they would never have dared dream when the hate began in their hearts. Guard your heart against hate. I wonder if you're honest, if you've allowed hate for someone else to take root in your heart. There's absolutely such a thing as enemies that must be opposed, people that must be brought to justice, but hate destroys you. It doesn't destroy them. Harboring hate hurts you, not them. How do you defeat hate? If you're a Christian, you defeat hate by seeing yourself first and fundamentally in light of the cross. The God who has every right to be hostile toward you has demonstrated to you an unmerited, unthinkable love to save you. And so for whatever reason you hate that person, 
whatever makes you hostile, whatever you're holding against that person, that's not even close to what God could have righteously held against you. What's the solution to the hate that you know is everywhere in the world? It is the cross. The cross. The more you're looking up at the cross, the less you can look at anyone with hate. What were Joseph's dreams? Well, the first, verses 6 and 7, his sheaf arose, it stood aright, and the brother's sheaves gathered around, and they bowed down. And in the second, verse 9, the sun, moon, and stars are bowing to Joseph. Now, that's more than just ruling people. He's got authority in that dream over creation. In both cases, Joseph reports the dreams, and the brothers interpret them. First one by his brothers, the second, that's verse 8, the second, verse 10, by his father, And they do, in both cases, interpret the dreams, which are a revelation from God, correctly. And they do not like what God has revealed. Hate by the brothers in verse 8. And in the second dream, reported to both the father and the brothers, verse 10, Joseph's father, Jacob, is angry. He rebukes Joseph. He can't stand the idea that he is Mother, his brothers would bow down before him. Now, remember at this point, Joseph's mother, Rachel, is dead. So he's referring to Leah. Now, whatever impression we have of Joseph at this point, and it does seem he's immature. These dreams are from God. The same God who promised his family that through them he would bless the world, that There would be mysteriously an offspring that would come into the world who would crush the head of the snake. If you'd been alive in those days, you would have constantly wondered, when you heard these stories, is this person the one? Could Joseph, with all of his royal dreams, be the offspring? I think Jacob wondered that. Notice in verse 11, his brothers were jealous, but his father kept the saying, in mind. Luke picks up on that in his gospel. How does he describe Mary and the response to all that the shepherds told her that night concerning the baby Jesus who had just been born? She pondered all these things in her heart. That's what Jacob is doing. He's wondering about this. He's pondering what's being said to him by his son. What should you and I see here? God sovereignly, and this is something we say in sports, is calling his shot. So in soccer or football, when someone points at where they're going to kick the ball in the goal or in basketball, when a player says, I'll make it, they call their shot. It's saying what's going to happen ahead of time. Often when it feels impossible. That's what God's doing. He's declaring... Joseph's destiny ahead of time. He is predestining Joseph's future. God has that right. He has that kind of power. He does so in such a way that human beings have responsibility and make all kinds of important choices. But in doing so, in this predestining of Joseph, God is 
assuring his people he's keeping his promises. He does this to strengthen your faith. One year has changed to another. God has not changed. What he's doing there in this passage, he's he's doing now. He is working for your good and for his glory. There's a lot that you and I could be uncertain about in the next week, in the next year. One reality that is certain is God will keep his promises. Anchor your hope there. Some of you know disappointment in your life right now. Some of us will know disappointment this year. So anchor your hope in God's promises to do good, to save, to work for your good, better than you know how to work for yourself. That's what God has done here. He has made promises from a human vantage point that are impossible. But the God we meet in the Bible glories in making promises like that and then keeping them. God calls his shot and God does not play small ball. Will you believe God or will you settle for some lesser promise, some lesser word? Don't look down here for your hopes. Raise your hopes. Anchor your trust in the great redemptive promises of God. He means for us to bank our lives on the fact that his promises will be kept by his power. Also see that God's ways are just so different from our ways. I mean, the boy Joseph family to whom God is making these promises, they, they are in no position from the vantage point of this world to see how God will keep any of these promises. But God keeps his promises in the wisest of ways, ways that are so unlike our ways. He's going to do so through weakness and disappointment and suffering and confusion to bring about salvation. God works in his ways, in his time, not in yours. Don't don't start to slip into the kind of thinking that looks at God as just a little bit bigger than you. There to give you a little help. He's the sovereign, the ruler. Do not judge him by feeble sense. He really does know and rule all of your ways. The ways of your life this year. He really knows what he's doing. In due time, his ways and their wisdom will be seen. And you're going to praise him for every one of his ways in your life. Whatever it is, it doesn't make sense to you now. It all makes sense to God. Trust him. Risk on who he is. By his own authority, he predestines the future. Dreams declared and dreams delayed. That's the second reality of this text. Dreams delayed. Look down beginning at verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. 
And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now, see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, they've gone far away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand, restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. I mean, after hearing these dreams, what would you think would happen? It would be the story of the rise of Joseph. It sounds like he's the one. But immediately, verse 12 Very ordinarily, he's sent by Jacob to Shechem, verse 14, to check on his brothers and their flock. Why? Well, remember, back in Genesis 34, Jacob's sons sinfully massacred the Shechemites because they violated their sister. And Jacob has very good reason to be concerned about these brothers in Shechem. Joseph obediently goes. Verse 15, there's a nameless man who finds him 
wandering, unable to find his brothers. It's this man who tells Joseph what he overheard in verse 17 when his brother said, let's go to Dotham. Joseph finds them there. Joseph was delayed. Such a brief detour, seemingly insignificant, that this would be included in this story. There's no insignificant details in Scripture. This is a divine delay. In verse 15, he's found wandering in the field. The God who divinely revealed to Joseph his destiny is the same God who divinely delayed him. Now, as you think about this year, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone, be confident of God's work and power in the smallest detail of your life. It was God who providentially worked in such detail that the brothers went to Dothan and Joseph did not find them, but was found by this man when he was wandering. This is providence. The theologian Herman Bobbing defines God's providence in this way. According to scripture, providence is the act of God by which from moment to moment, he preserves and governs all things. Moment to moment. By his power, by his act, he preserves, he governs everything. John Piper calls God's providence his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in achieving his goal for the universe. His purposeful sovereignty over everything, every detail, every detail in the world, every detail in your life. Now think back over the last year. What was hard in your life? What, what confused you? What encouraged you? None of it was an accident. All of it working toward God's plans and purposes. Yeah, for you and me to grow as Christians in the coming year, we should study God's providence, his purposeful sovereignty in the scriptures and in our lives. Uh, notice in this text, Moses does not say that Joseph's wandering here, his delay was by God's providence, but he expects you to see it. And you'll grow as a Christian when you are careful to see and study and trust God's purposeful sovereignty in your life to the smallest detail. Nothing is overlooked in God's universe. In each moment, Christian, you live under the purposeful sovereignty of your good father. That thing that happened last week that you didn't expect, God's purposeful sovereignty. And so that means what happens later today or this week or this year, you must see it comes from the hand of a purposefully sovereign and good father. So let that get deep into your soul. And the more that does, the more you're going to live in God's universe as it really is. You're, you're gonna see all the circumstances of your life as from God. And then you will seek to be as purposeful as he is. His providence extends to everything, even a meaningless delay. 
How does that change you in the way you see God's world? Ultimately, Joseph in verse 18 does make his way to Dothan and his brothers see him far away and they conspire to kill him. What began with Cain and Abel, he saw in Jacob, once again, hatred that starts in the heart does not stay there. It grows to the point that one side wants the other side dead. Be warned about that. What you cultivate in private will manifest itself in public. Do not ever believe the lie that your sin is a private thing, not in God's universe where he sees it all. Notice how wicked these brothers are in verse 20. They conspire to kill him. They throw him into a pit to make up a story about an animal. This is premeditated murder. They mock his dreams. They are against Joseph. They are against God, who's revealed himself to Joseph. It's Reuben in verse 21. He's the the firstborn, and he argues that They shouldn't take his life. And we know he does that so that, verse 22, he might rescue him from the pit and return him to his father. Why did he do this? Well, back in Genesis 35, verse 22, Reuben committed a great sin. He laid with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Jacob heard of it. Reuben, as the firstborn, was not on good terms with his father. And he had every reason to try to get back into good status with his father. Maybe it'll work. They do follow his plan. Joseph, for his part, is totally unaware of all the plans they have for him when he shows up. We do know they will not thwart the purposes and plans of God. What they mean for evil, God means for good. Whatever we don't know about the future... Nothing in the universe changes that reality. Now, like Joseph, that might mean for you or for me, suffering at the hands of human wickedness. But there is nothing in Joseph's life that is about to just happen to Joseph. Same for us. Nothing randomly happens to us, not in God's universe, I want you to see how getting your mind around this massive doctrine of God's providence leads to your growth and your joy and trust in God. You'll start to walk in this world seeing it by faith, not just by human sight. Maybe bring something to mind right now that you think is not fair or hard or is evil. Maybe it's in your life or in the world. For you as a Christian, that's being ruled over by God who does not do evil for your good. Be patient. Be patient. Wait in faith. Be constant in prayer. Keep hoping. God works in ways that don't make sense to us. As big truth gets into your mind, it will affect your heart. It will affect your life. When you embrace God's total rule and authority, it deepens your trust. It changes your sight. Real evil never stops the sure purposes of God. 
Verse 23, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of colors that he wore. Now think of that. Joseph was wearing the robe. He must have loved that robe. And they hated it. They hated it for what it reminded them of because they hated the God who ruled them. They opposed his purposes. They throw him into a pit. There's no water. He's just declared these dreams he has of destiny to be royal. And now he's alone. The bottom of a waterless pit. And this is so like God. Joseph has sunk as low as he can possibly go. But God is not absent. He's with Joseph in the pit. This is the God who gives his people the words to cry out to him from the pit. Psalm 40. Royal King David, verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and set my feet upon a rock. God's power extends down into the pit. Never think that you're suffering or your confusion. Never think that the most difficult place is beyond the hand. Certainly the plans of God. God means for you to wait patiently there. He means for you to cry out to him, to trust he will ultimately set your feet on the solid rock. God is with his people in the pit. What is the reason you think this morning you have not to trust God? Why do you believe that what you see or what you think is more sure than what God says, the way he acts. He delights to raise his people up from the pit. Joseph's brothers meant for Joseph to die in that pit. Reuben meant to rescue him and reestablish himself with his father. All of man's intentions cannot stop God's purposes. Now look at verse 25. As they sat down to eat. Now you think of that. Joseph is in a pit. And they sit down to eat. They're so at ease with their wickedness. We know from chapter 42 verse 21 that Joseph was pleading with them for his life. And they just eat. Joseph suffered unthinkable evil. He has no idea where this is headed. His coat torn, his dreams are going to be torn in his mind too. To bring about his purposes, God is taking Joseph through unimaginable suffering. God's going to shape him in that. God's going to bring about his purposes to save his people through that. You think God is preparing his people for something even bigger than this? Of course he is. Joseph is at the bottom of the pit. When suddenly, verse 25, these Ishmaelites just happen to come along. and They're going to Egypt. They're not from the line of promise. 
They're going down to Egypt. That's where Abraham went. And when he went there, he had to be rescued by the power of God. They're wealthy. And Judah, verse 26, proposes, let's not kill our brother, let's sell him. He doesn't say, let's rescue our brother. He doesn't say, let's repent of what we're doing. Let's sell him and make some cash. This is what's logical to him. After all, he's their brother, their own flesh. So they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. He's handed over. He's betrayed by those in covenant with God to those who are not. That's not the last time that will happen in Scripture. And notice the fallout. In verse 29, when Reuben, who apparently was not in on the plans, returns to the pit, he tears his clothes in mourning when he sees Joseph isn't there. He plans to return Joseph to his father and now his plans have come to nothing. And so he asks, where shall I go? He's coming to terms with the fact that all the plans he had to reestablish himself with Jacob are over. Where's his concern? It's not for Joseph. It's for Reuben. And the brothers who were eating as Joseph pleaded for his life, verse 31, they slaughtered a goat and they dipped the, the robe in the slaughtered goat's blood and they brought that robe to the father. That's how Jacob deceived his own father with the blood of a slaughtered goat many years before that. And now he's being deceived in the same way by his own sons. They present that torn and that bloodied robe to Jacob. In verse 33, Jacob concludes his son is dead, devoured by a fierce animal. He was devoured by something fierce. It was not an animal. It was brothers filled with hate. Jacob tore his clothes. He refused, verse 35, to be comforted. He was convinced he would go to Sheol mourning. He'd never see his favorite son again. His clothes, the dreams, the plans, it's all torn apart. Reuben's plans thwarted. Jacob's plans for his son just to get a report about his own sons thwarted. Joseph's plans are gone. The brothers' plans had to change when Judah suggested they allow the Ishmaelite caravan to, to buy him. All of these plans and purposes were all carried out for different reasons. None of them stopped the one plan of God. Notice every single detail in this account that had to come to pass for God's plan to be accomplished. Joseph had to leave, or his brothers just had to leave at the right time from Shechem. And before leaving, the Shechemite man had to happen to overhear their plans so that when Joseph got there, after he had been delayed, he would come across this nameless man who happened to find him at just the right time so that he could tell Joseph that those men went to Dothan. And then when he gets to Dothan, the brothers see him and they make a plan and a caravite of Ishmaelites just happened to be coming at the right time so that they could sell Joseph, not what their plan was, but sell him into Egypt, into slavery. I mean, this could have gone in so many different directions and we're meant to see that it ultimately went in God's direction. It's God's predestined plan that is coming to pass. 
You, you, you can imagine the confusion of Joseph. He's so righteous in this account. His brothers are wicked. You, you can imagine Jacob's grief and all of this pain in the present will all be seen as God's good providence in the end. What must you trust the Lord with in your life right now? What do you need to do this morning to trust the Lord in the coming year? So easy as we begin this story for all of us to just immediately, without thinking about it, put ourselves in Joseph's shoes. Identify with Joseph when we are first must understand we should identify with the brothers. We are like the brothers. We are by nature people opposed to God. We are by nature people who have worked against God and his good purposes in the world. We have, like the brothers, hated God's authority over our lives to tell us what to do. And how has God acted? Not in any way like we naturally would. Not like we would think. Just as God is working here through all of this terrible evil and injustice to save his people through Joseph, God has worked through even greater evil through his son Jesus to save his people through the cross. We stand with these brothers in the fact that we've rebelled against the God of the universe who personally knows us our thinking and our actions. And God, just as he was with Joseph, was acting in the midst of our rebellion to bring about a great salvation. See the glory of God in his purpose to save. In this, unexpectedly, Jesus went to the cross, the pit of human suffering and death, to die, to pay the penalty of sin for sinners to redeem us. And God raised Jesus up and he finished the work of salvation. It's accomplished. There's nowhere else to look, nothing to do. And the question for you, me, will you turn from your sin, your rebellion, and trust Jesus? He alone, in Jesus Christ, can save. This chapter, it begins with Joseph declaring dreams that ends with Jacob, who's inconsolable. But even as Jacob mourns, he cannot be comforted. God is at work. Unknown to Jacob, unknown to anyone in that family, God is working far away in a way they don't know for salvation. Far away, the Midianites had sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. God is always up to his people's good, even when we have no idea how. Joseph, Joseph has been ruthlessly abandoned by his brothers. He is not abandoned by God. He's the lowest of the low in Egypt, but he's in the high-ranking Potiphar's house. He's there by God's power, God, by God's plan, and for God's purpose. Do you see how glorious and beautiful God is. What's he doing? He's working at that moment for his people's salvation when all they deserve is his condemnation. His ways are so different from our ways. 
God sovereignly rules the future, and he works in every detail in the universe to save. Every detail in Joseph's life toward that end, every detail in your life, God predestines the future of the world. He reveals all of that to us by his word. And God works in every detail to bring about his purposes. The dreams, the smallest details that cause that confusing delay, all of God. It was all of God working to bring about his decree to save his people through the offspring of the woman. Now, as you and I go into this week, as we go into this year, what other God, what better promises could possibly be a greater anchor for your trust and your hope and your perseverance? 